Welcome to the Santa Cruz Coffee Break. If you're watching on YouTube or listening on Apple Podcasts, please follow, hit the like button, or any subscribes. It really helps us with the algorithms. Santa Cruz Coffee Break is independent of Santa Cruz Guitar Company, and all opinions are those of the speakers. Santa Cruz Coffee Break is produced by the Santa Cruz Guitar Players Forum. We invite you to join us on the Santa Cruz Guitar Players Forum at SCGCPF for more fun. Now, let's get on with this installment of Santa Cruz Coffee Break. For those of you in the, uh, in the virtual world, um, we'd like to ultimately thank Mr. Hoover for double time today, since the first time we did this, it didn't record. So, can't explain that, just gonna say that it didn't work. But uh, Richard's graciously giving us some other time today when he should be resawing wood. So, um, if uh, your guitar's a little late, you can blame me for it. And um, we're gonna welcome you back, Richard, and say thanks very much for being so generous with your time today. And of course, all our disclaimers are in effect. And uh, Tad, take it away. I'm gonna go take a nap. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Mr. Newman, it isn't that bad. It's, it's, it's just the internet tubes get clogged up from time to time and uh... That doesn't matter. So uh, we should introduce this as podcast number 14, if we are all counting correctly. I'm afraid once we get past 10, I run into problems. Um, and we are here with Mr. Hoover. Uh, he is safely ensconced in his office at the Santa Cruz Guitar Company. Mr. Newman is in Pacific Grove, and I am in Oakland. So we are keeping reasonable social distance, which is why none of us are wearing masks. Um, we were going to make this a, um, follow up to the question and answer, but there was one question that got asked that, that I felt was probably enough information to fill an entire podcast. And that is, uh, a question about Santa Cruz guitars next. Um, there is no one standard neck on a Santa Cruz guitar. When I see on the forums, people say, oh, I tried a Santa Cruz and I didn't like the neck. Well, that's not a, a good thing because there are, is no one style of neck and they're different on the various guitars. So our hope today is with Mr. Hoover, he can maybe talk to us about um, the neck on the Santa Cruz guitar. So Richard, welcome and let's start with the, this. Obvious question, is there a standard Santa Cruz neck? Yes, there is. Yes, Tad, we do have uh, standard necks and they're specific to each model that we make. And they're based on uh, tradition, uh, you know, vintage appeal, uh, the, the guitars that were inspired by old Martins uh, often have a V-shaped neck. The ones inspired by old Gibsons have a rounder shaped neck. Uh, uh, and then a lot of it is just based on experience. Um, jazz people like rounder necks, bluegrass people like uh, uh, V-shaped necks. So we started out by having each model have an appropriate style neck. Knowing that there's not one right neck for everybody, we also have the option of working with the customer to get their their own taste and their own personal preferences in it. So we can do a unique neck for somebody on their guitars. And you're right, if somebody plays a guitar out in the field that's used, um, uh, that may or may not represent the neck they would get if they just ordered the standard model. It's really easy to give us a call or an email and ask, uh, referencing the serial number, and we can give you that answer. So uh, there you go. We do make uh, standard necks per model, and uh, it's hard to put shapes into words. So even though our specs online will have a name for that neck shape, uh, it's better to just check with us directly. When we do a custom neck, we don't do it in words, we do it in drawings and specifications. Anybody that's ever tried to work with a fabricator or a machinist on the phone, they, you know, they won't talk to you without a drawing. And uh, that's pretty much how we do it. So either we get the guitar from the customer and uh, use that as a reference to make the neck, or uh, we send them to a trusted mutual contact, uh, another luthier that can take the proper measurements for us. 
Great. So, but if somebody uh, goes into a shop and they play a, a VS or they play an OM, play a, play a Firefly, and they call you up and say, "Oh, I just love this neck, but I want this body." That's enough information for you to to kind of put the two together to help them out. With a serial number, yeah, we keep uh, really, really good records of everything we've done. Uh, so the serial number is the key to that information. Uh, okay. And serial, the serial number, number for, for the uninitiated uh, on our label on the on the back visible through the sound hole will be a letter that designates the body size D H O M, and then there'll be a series of numbers. Uh, you know, uh, uh, at this point, four numbers. That will be the serial number, and that will give us the reference we need. Right, and the and the serial number is unique to the model too, so that it's not like you're serial numbering each guitar that goes out the door, but it's this number of dread series, or this number of OM series, or this number of F series. Oh, but if we could start again, <laughs> for some inexplicable reason, uh, we numbered the body uh, styles separately. So the D models are all numbered sequentially. Uh, the OM models are numbered sequentially, et cetera. Anybody you'd care to blame for that since there's nobody who's going to disagree with you? Well, somebody that's not here, obviously. Okay. <laughs> Whoever's out of the room takes the rap. <laughs> takes the rap on that one. <laughs> um, well, I, I've seen you have quite a collection of build cards, and, and um, so if somebody finds a neck they really like and they can get the serial number and the model number and contact you, then that is, it sounds like a great first step to getting a custom guitar built. Um, yeah, absolutely. One of the, one of the beautiful uh, side benefits of uh, the COVID and the shelter in place is we caught up on a lot of that record keeping and we're able to put a lot of those old paper records on the computer. Um, so they're a lot more accessible than they used to be. Oh, outstanding. Oh, That's great. Yeah. yeah. Okay. But um, beyond just saying I like a neck on a particular guitar, you're able to uh, modify that to a certain degree, right? Uh, it's, you know, if somebody says, I love that neck, but it's too narrow or it's too wide. You can mm -hmm. go down, I, I, I guess one in 11 sixteenths is going to be the narrowest and, and I've seen one in seven eighths. Um, on a couple of guitars. So that I would say that's what, your normal range perhaps? Well, here to put it the simplest, um, you know, we do custom necks on an individual basis. So for us, custom uh, really means uh, what's right for you, uh, not a generic term like a larger company, you know, the custom series. Uh, which could be 10,000 or something. So when, when I talk to uh, a player individually, we discuss uh, their needs and we can take dimensions, of course. You know, somebody knows that they want to have a 111 sixteenths, one and three quarter, one and 13 sixteenths, et cetera, at the nut, we can do that. Uh, it's all integral and I'll, I'll also talk to them about uh, within the neck at the 14th fret or the 12th fret where it joins the body, the actual profile or shape of the neck, et cetera. Usually we're working with a neck that already exists that we can copy or modify. So yeah, it's a discussion uh, more than a parameter that I would give on this. Uh, our limitations are, um, you know, what's physically possible and then, you know, reasonably good taste. Uh, yes. uh, when it comes to design things. And uh, as far as the next shape goes, I won't put any limitations on this. I'll, I don't want people to, to fear asking for something. Uh, so individually, I'd let people know what's possible. Okay. And, and just while we're touching on it, do you have um, any comments on how uh, neck width uh, choices have changed over the years that you've been building guitars? Have you noticed trends like uh, were wider necks more popular with bell bottoms or uh, when skinny jeans came in, people were going with skinnier necks or anything along those lines? 
You know, the uh, people's, uh, the market demand people's taste does uh, transmorgify over years, but it's based on influences, of course. And uh, influences uh, early on uh, were, um, uh, let's see, you know, my generation, Martin at that time made a 1 11 16th inch neck, and people really didn't know there was anything else. Uh, we weren't as hip to vintage guitars where the necks were wider or uh, different shapes and so forth. So that, that was what was popular for a really long time, 1 11 16th. Uh, uh, the OM at 1 and 3 quarter became a real rage starting in the late 80s on up as people got into smaller body guitars because uh, that's what the reference was for the OM. Uh, now people realize they can get something that's right for them rather than just what's right for most of the market at once. So yes, they do. And also uh, market demand changes our standard specs on guitars. So where originally we might have done a pretty severe V shape, uh, which was true to the tradition of old Martin, it wasn't popular in the modern market. So over time, we added more material to the cheeks of that V and come up with something that one might term a modified V. So I stay away from names, cute names for the next shapes because it's confusing for, between brand and brand. So uh, really we're more about measurements there. So to answer your question, uh, yes, it does change over time. Okay, okay. Well, I just wonder if you've noticed any trends in the marketplace, like necks are headed yes. up or necks are headed down or... Well, yeah, because, uh, you know, uh, let's go back. Uh, Tony's old um, D28 uh, had the neck uh, worked, uh, modified, a lot of folklore uh, around that. Uh, but um, the, the neck really measures closer to one and five eighths than to one and 11 sixteenths. Um, you know, one and 12 sixteenths would be three quarter. And uh, so it was, it was pretty skinny neck. And um, people wanted that not because it's an easy to play neck. They wanted it because Tony Rice had it and Clarence White had it before that. So you can see it's really a trend with it. It's not a really, uh, it's not a neck that lends itself to facility uh, for, for every hand because the strings are close together and it's hard to be articulate with them that crowded. So over time, yes, people went from one and 11 sixteenths to uh, one and three quarter. Uh, when we first made uh, our dreadnought back in the mid seventies, uh, we did a string spacing of one and 13 sixteenths thinking that uh, we knew better than everybody else. And there was a one neck shape that was good for all players. That was silly. Um, uh, so now we do, um, we will make a custom width, but you're right. The trend is toward wider string spacing because uh, actually it's, it's, it's easier to get a good articulate separation between the notes when you can put your fingers down on separate strings. Uh, the classical at two plus inches is a good illustration of that. Yeah, yeah. And, and in, the, in the part we lost, I heard for the first time that you actually have built a few classical guitars, uh, although it sounds like you're not going to build any more just because there isn't time. But um, so you have built things all the way up to two inch or more uh, in your career. Yeah, we've, done, we've actually done that on steel strings too. Uh, but yeah, to clarify that, we have done bona fide classical guitars. It's, uh, you know, they're dear to my heart. You know, I spent tons of time uh, networking with uh, uh, Spanish builders and some American classical builders and so on. So I really respect the instrument, but it's not in our catalog because it requires so much personal time of mine to do it. And I just don't have the bandwidth. Uh, as we said earlier, I have more projects that I can do in my lifetime, and I have to be pretty careful uh, than how I choose and what I do. So I, I can't make a commitment for a classical at this point. Right. Well, and you also, as we said earlier, you, you have some uh, near and dear neighbors who uh, specialize in that um, and don't build steel string instruments. So it's, it's, you want to go with the strengths. Well, that's what I would do. I mean, really out of respect for our customers, I want them to get the best value for their money. And uh, the, they, they, I would 
refer them to somebody that does this uh, really well and is a matter of course and is efficient and can charge them correctly. Uh, there's no reason for uh, Richard or Santa Cruz Guitar Company to make them a prototype and to have to pay those costs when it's available elsewhere. Right, right. And the other thing we were talking about, um, most of the guitars that come out of the shop uh, use a mahogany neck. Uh, but you right. don't exclusively use mahogany. Um, I have a couple of maple F's that have beautiful maple necks. Um, I think I've seen one OM with a maple neck. Um, I've not seen anything other than that. But tell us what kind of woods um, you will work with uh, and why so many of the guitars come primarily with mahogany. Okay, well, mahogany uh, for all woodworkers is God made mahogany for woodworkers, right? It's um, it's light but strong. It's really stable. Uh, it's really workable. It's really you know uh, cutting tool friendly, sanding friendly, and you can uh, you can manipulate the look of it to look like most other woods, you know, uh, through staining or shading or whatever. So it's just a dream come true. It also varies considerably in density. And one of the criteria that we have uh, with our necks is uh, the appropriate density for the model of guitar and the voice that we're after. So to make this really simple, uh, the heavier the neck, uh, the more vibration uh, it blocks uh, from the body entering into the neck. So it allows for more projection, more clarity, more separation between notes when you have a heavy neck. When you have a light neck, vibration is, is becomes, uh, the neck becomes part of the vibrational surface, the resonating surface, you get a more open area and blended sound. So you can see that uh, a slotted peg head, light gears, a low density mahogany, um, it's gonna give you a nice folky sound and a maple neck that's heavy or a heavy density mahogany uh, with a larger peg head and big gears is gonna give that uh, clarity projection that you're looking for in like say a jazz instrument or a big rhythm instrument. So uh, in that sense, we can do anything we want with mahogany because um, I sort it by density. And I have some real pet pieces that are super, super heavy from the olden days uh, to use. Uh, the maple neck comes in where it is more of a, it's more of a tradition uh, and an optic. Uh, in our jazz guitar, for instance, that's flame maple uh, backsides carved back, the maple neck looks right on that. It also, the density of maple fits with what we want as far as projection, separation, notes, etc. So uh, back to your original uh, uh, query there, uh, we can do anything we want with mahogany, uh, but maple looks really sexy and pretty and great with a uh, shading or sunburst, and we will use that. In the past, you know, for, for uh, people with patron status, we have made koa necks uh, or walnut necks or even Brazilian rosewood necks. Um, but uh, again, I'd like to talk to people individually in their choices because although they may get a unique look in a different wood, they might not get the sound that they want. Right, right. I would, yeah, no, as I can't imagine I've played a couple of, I think, electrics with rosewood necks, and they are just so insanely heavy. Um, and the guitar feels like it's tremendously out of balance. Um, I just can't imagine a beautiful, lightweight acoustic with a 25-pound neck on it. Um, <laughs> well, I, I want to say this, uh, give you this anecdote. I know you, got, you heard earlier, uh, but Art Overholzer, who is uh, my grandfather in my Luthery tradition, um, uh, taught uh, guitar making at Chico State, and he had his students make Brazilian rosewood next. Back when it was about, you know, from Macbeth Hardwood in Berkeley, you could buy uh, Brazilian rosewood for like $1.75 a pound or something. And uh, they made their necks out of that. And his, you know, his vision or his uh, uh, intent was to make a classical guitar that was much louder uh, and uh, uh, more impressive. And, and, a heavy neck doesn't increase the volume of the guitar, it directs the volume more to the player. So the perception is from the audience as of a louder guitar. But you're right, it's heavy. Yeah, yeah. I, don't, I, I wouldn't recommend it. Yeah. 
So it, it, and Brazil's so was not dollar seventy five a pound anymore. <laughs> yeah, we we've all noticed that. <laughs> um, but if somebody's coming to you to get a guitar spec today, you're going to be pushing the mahogany primarily, maybe the maple if it's aesthetically a good choice with the rest of the guitar. Um, well, I, I'm going to put it like this. Where I feel that my uh, experience, expertise, and um, uh, uh, history of success and failure can serve somebody really well, we don't have to discuss those issues. So okay. when somebody's getting a custom guitar, I'm gonna I'm gonna pay real close attention to what kind of sound that they're after, um, as far as uh, a tone, uh, a projection, presence of the instrument, and then we're gonna build the guitar accordingly. And the neck material usually doesn't come up as as a, a question in that, and it doesn't need to because I can make the right choices. And usually it's just in me choosing the the proper density. The appropriate density for the, what they're after as far as sound is excellent that's that's one choice off the table amongst the many many other choices that must be made um, that's right and finally there if somebody does ask for something like oh i'd like a maple neck because it looks really pretty we will visit whether that's appropriate for the sound they want or not okay that sounds good um so that's basically uh well yeah, so that's the back of the neck. Then the front of the neck is uh, obviously the fretboard. And again, most commonly that's done in ebony, although I have seen some done in Brazilian rosewood. Is there any other materials that you've chosen? And you know, what are your thoughts about uh, those materials um, in general? I, I get it, yeah. Okay, I think I could uh, say this best uh, as, Ebony is uh, ideal because the, the, the weight of it's consistent, so there's a control there, uh, and it's really durable. Everything else is a bit of a compromise as far as durability, uh, and you have to weigh the cosmetic appeal against that. So Brazilian rosewood fingerboard is really pretty. And, uh, you know, you see some uh, modern guitars from luthiers with Brazilian boards that are really striking and really, really nice. But you look at an old D18 and you really don't notice that it's Brazilian because finger oils over time uh, have really obscured the figure in the wood. You know, it darkens up. But also what you'll notice in the Brazilian rosewood board is on older guitars, the, the most popular playing positions are pitted, you know, where fingers and fingernails have dug into it. And uh, that's a problem. It can wreck your intonation. Uh, it can affect your resale value. And usually when one of those guitars is refretted, uh, the, the luthier will have a technique that they do to fill those in, you know, whether it's epoxy or whatever that's colored to match the board and repair that damage. And that's really hard to do in ebony. So uh, um, we've done Coca-Cola boards. Uh, which are really, really pretty also, really durable. Um, but, but again, ebony is the most consistent in weight and the most durable, and that's why we use it as a standard. Right. And ebony also does an excellent job of showing off any kind of decoration that people might want to have on their, on their fretboard. And you have done everything from literally blank uh fretboards with absolutely no markers which i've gotten lost on once or twice um to you know traditional diamonds uh traditional you know 42 style elements and then you've done some work with people like larry robinson that you know i don't know how people play those guitars because you're spending so much time just staring at the beautiful decoration <laughs> um are, are those what kind of options do you offer in those ways these days? I mean, are you still doing all these various uh, highly decorative uh, elements? Oh yeah, um, you know, with our with our history, um, uh, which is which is considerable. You know, we just uh, we're in our forty fifth year of this. Uh, there's a lot of examples out there that inspire people to ask for their own variations and their own iconic stuff. 
So, you know, my personal taste is not important in the choice that other people make. Uh, my personal taste is a, is a, a, a you know, a blank fingerboard. I just love that. Um, and uh, uh, as standard, we'll put little tiny two millimeter mother of pearl dots in the most popular uh, positions on the board. But when somebody wants to add something iconic that makes their guitar their own and personalized, um, or to celebrate, uh, you know, milestone in their life, uh, we love to do that. It's really gratifying. Uh, it's great service for people, and uh, and the stuff we don't do here in-house, we work with specialists. You mentioned Larry Robinson, uh, Jimmy Winger, um, uh, people that, that have their styles and the things that they do. So based on what the subject is or the content, you know, we'll choose the artist to, to do that part of it. And uh, first and foremost, it's trying to do something that is consistent with the quality of the instrument, you know, that it's a, a professional presentation um, it looks elegant, it looks right, and it's pro within proportion to the instrument. And um, when people uh, are asking about inlay, again, it's, uh, uh, it's the context, uh, and I do it on an individual basis. Um, I want to make sure that people get those qualities of, of look I was talking about. So I will advise them on proportion and materials and so forth. So here's a couple of caveats, and you started it. You said ebony is a great backdrop for inlay because of the graphic contrast. And that's true. That's true in mother of pearl or lighter abalone and things like that. And uh, But if you're using a colorful abalone against a black background, that, that uh, variety in dark blues and even blacks in the abalone can really obliterate uh, your intended shape and make it just look like an amoeba amoeba uh, so it's better to um, do more intricate shapes and a lighter contrasting material uh, with that um, uh, wood inlays are not a good idea because they will also absorb finger oils and darken and uh, over time lose their effect uh, on that and anything from uh, you know traditional shell abalone mother of pearl uh, a lot of uh, varieties of other seashells that go from violet to gold. Um, but we're not above using, um, you know, the, the exotic rare Corian uh, to get the, the colors that we want. And that could be granite or whatever. Corian, by the way, is, is, that, is uh, what's on your kitchen countertop. <laughs> Right, right, yes. Right, which we can get in all kind of variations and colors. So there's a lot of, a lot that, you know, endless variety on that. And again, what we're after is getting somebody really good value, what they want and feel and look, but also that it's really professional and it's not going to be displeasing to uh, another owner in the future. Right. I've seen Sound some. Go ahead. I've seen some beautiful. Um, guitars with uh, fretboards that are bound in maple and they look so beautiful while they're brand new but it yeah. generally takes just a year or two and that maple starts to get well if somebody's playing the guitar it starts to get yeah. really dirty and nasty kind of looking um, whereas ivory or maybe even corian you know that'll hold up to decades of playing without getting that kind of look Right, and what you're talking about, of course, is the sides of the binding are are, are lacquered, so that's that's safe. But the surface uh, that's against the the fretboard is not finished, and that again, yeah, that gets finger oils and things like that, and can look really funky in a short period of time. Okay, so that's uh, that's a great discussion of of you know you can basically base it sounds like do anything on the the fretboard within tasteful reason. Um, that a customer would want. Um, the next step, obviously, is the frets. And there's um, a lot of people who have feelings about sizes of frets. Santa mm -hmm. Cruz seems to use a pretty consistent fret on most of their instruments. Um, is that something that you've developed or just, uh, I can't imagine you just said, oh, yeah, give me that and that's fine. Yeah, we, again, we have a long, long history uh, of success and failure and uh, 
uh, after all this time, we avoid the failures and stick to the successes. So what we end up with is we have, um, you know, uh, I, I say proprietary alloy, not because I want to keep it a secret, just to express that it, it is something we developed so that we get a fret that's hard enough to be durable and not necessitate refretting, um, uh, uh, you know, in, a, in too short a period of time, but also not so hard that it wears out strings quickly. Um, uh, the temper of the material is really important for, uh, again, for, for being able to apply, uh, put them in correctly, uh, but also, again, have the durability. Um, the, the, the actual manufacture of the fret is critical for its uh, performance. And um, the, uh, if you looked at uh, fret wire under uh, a microscope, as you look at the side of the tang, and those little beads are, are uh, uh, diamonds there that uh, actually are the teeth that hold the fret in. Uh, on some fret wire, those can look like little drops of solder. I mean, just, you know, ill-defined shapes. And you kind of bludgeon the fret in, and there's nothing to keep it from coming out. But on really well-made fret wire, uh, those are like little... Uh, clean diamonds with knife edges and those um those press the the technique is to press those in and have it slide slightly sideways so that the frets locked in so they really need to be a cutting action to do that and so who makes the fret wire and the material it's made out of again is really really critical and we don't we don't uh scrimp on savings on fret wire uh, for that reason. The size of it is um, really uh, pleasing most of the people most of the time. And I'm going to say that it, it comes up really infrequently that somebody wants a variation on that. Usually somebody that's used to playing jumbo frets. And that's understandable. You know, uh, uh, Doc Watson was one of those guys. You know, when I first started dealing with him in, in uh, late 80s, you know, he said, you know, a lot of people don't know that I put more hours on a Les Paul than I have on a Dreadnought. And uh, the jumbo frets were just part of his tradition. And uh, sure, we'll honor that. We'll put in jumbo frets for people. But um, we're not going to try to convince uh, anybody to adapt to jumbo frets that doesn't need them. So that's why we have a standard. Okay. Do you want to talk? Sense. Do you want to talk stainless steel? Just a, just a quick second, because there was a forum question about stainless steel. Yeah, we will do stainless steel. We have one artist model that we do stainless steel, Scott Law, and he, you know, he had a really good. Uh, 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 rap about uh, stainless steel and really good witness for the use of them. So stainless steel, of course, is durable as heck. It lasts a really long time, and people uh, people feel the difference in them. Uh, not everybody, and it's not for everybody. And it's also it's more work to put them in. It's really hard on tools. And uh, so it's gotten, it's, it's actually gotten a bit of a negative connotation with luthiers because uh, they hate, you know, wearing out their favorite tools uh, by using stainless steel frets. But it's an option. It's one we're happy to do and we charge accordingly for it. Is it, is it better? Um, I'm going to say in some senses it actually is better in durability, but as far as feel or tone or things like that, that's of course a personal choice. So we don't do it, uh, we, of course we don't do it on all guitars. Then there's the in-between. Uh, there's alloys, um, uh, variations of that, um, you know, Evo through Jeskar is, is one of them that we've used as kind of a gold looking fret wire. And uh, actually, one of the, you know, when you showed me those questions, uh, one of them was from a fellow that said he had asked years ago about Evo and said that we said that we didn't do it. And I can't, you know, I don't know the context or whatever. Um, uh, I don't doubt that he's, that that's the answer he got, but I don't know why. Uh, we will do that. We will use those. So I wait for people to ask for those again. Otherwise, I'm, I'm, uh, uh, hoping they just rely on our good judgment. Well, and, and Santa Cruz is not a company that's known for 
jumping on the latest fad bandwagon. And it could be that he asked about Evo, Fretwire, you know, the week after it came out and nobody knew anything about it. Um, so who knows? Uh, yeah. But it's good to hear that you will do it now. You know, that's a real blessing, Ted, that you brought up. Uh, it would be it would be really challenging uh, to try to establish yourself as a luthier uh, in, in the current season here. Um, when we started out, nobody made guitars except factories, and uh, uh, just the fact we made guitar was pretty impressive. And uh, with, with uh, you know, 45 years behind us, we don't have to be coming up with something new all the time uh, to attract attention. We do just fine uh, with, our, with our regular palette. So uh, as a new luthier, yeah, uh, a sound port, a bevel, um, uh, you know, stainless steel wire. There's a lot of things you'd like to do just to get attention to start with. Uh, but luckily, we're not um, we're not in that place. We don't need to uh, uh, we don't need to come up with um, uh, new things all the time. And if we do, it's as an option, uh, not doesn't change our guitars. Right. Yes. No. I. I. I I very much appreciate that because I think there is a lot of tradition um, that is based on uh, experiential evidence that was gained over potentially hundreds of years that <laughs> we, because we don't understand it right away now, we dismiss it. Um, and I think that's oh, unfortunate. Yeah. We don't like change unless it's our own idea, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yes yes um well okay so that's the frets um and we were talking also i guess about the the tuning machines um those can add mass to the guitar um well, you have the the santa cruz brand or or labeled tuning machines but you also do a variety of other ones um are those just an option? I mean, do you really care or um, what are your feelings on that? Well, um, again, the, the, every component of the neck has to be considered part of the overall mass. And we'll combine these either to add weight or, or combine them to, to, to lose weight. So, um, you know, the, uh, uh, the Tony Rice model has nice, old uh, vintage gears and uh, we had a lot to do with those with that design you know to start with because there was nothing in the market available um, uh, uh, open back gears that weren't just toys you know cheap stuff when we first began so we had to design a guitar a gear that was uh, quality but light uh, on our uh, like a jazz style instrument like the FTC um, or uh, the uh, finger style guitar we use you know full closed back uh, uh, machines that do add weight to the guitar for a purpose to get that sound so the, the gears that we use on the guitars are specific to those models and to complement them so when somebody as a custom feature asks for a particular gear again i'm going to make sure they know what effect it has on sound and it's compatible with their vision so we don't use uh i'm going to say we don't use any tuning machines on our guitars that we haven't monkeyed with right that we haven't had a say in uh design improvements and things like that so overall usually they're made to our specifications um uh, uh that's not necessary you know if somebody wants to use a really high quality machine uh uh that uh is is made by a, a company that's not our design that's perfectly fine we can do that uh given the weight considerations right i got to imagine think, over 45 years you've seen a lot of changes in uh tuning gears and tuning machines um and oh, what's available in the market. right when um uh you know martin uh when i came of age martin used the uh, grover rotomatics and uh, Grover was a American company and it was just the, it was the gold standard. And everybody put those on their harmony, right? Uh, so it could be more like a Martin. And um, 
the idea of an open back gear then would have been, are you kidding? Why would you put such cheap stuff on a nice guitar? So open back gears were uh, um, really an amazing uh, paradigm shift uh, that like, uh, you know, finally Stu Mac came along and did a real credible uh, open back gear. Um, and before that, it, the, your only choice really was antique gears to get that effect. Right, right. Very interesting. Um, so let's see, what have we not covered on uh, next now, Mr. Newman? Can you think? I'm trying to think of what else we... You know, I, I, I think, I think we've, we've pretty much run the, run the gamut on it. It, it. It's actually pretty interesting to do it a second time in a couple hours because we really uh, refined it down a little bit. I think it's a, it's a much, much, much better 45 minutes than um, we, uh, we had initially. I'm really, I've come off the roof and I've, you know, and, I, and, I, and I've decided that um, maybe the technology gave us a break here or something. I don't know, but. Uh, oh, it's, it's just the Mountain Dew wearing off. Yeah, that's what it is. You know, uh, uh, having said that, let me let me uh, let me completely reverse that and and dig uh, in just a little bit deeper here. Is truss rod? Uh, you know, we talked about density of uh, the mahogany. Uh, we talked about the weight of the gears, the fretboard, uh, and the truss rod. Um, it is, you know, it's absolutely necessary to have a truss rod that will make the neck go both directions. Uh, against the pull of the string and towards the pull of the string. There's really no valid argument to not have a truss rod in a guitar. Um, so given that, uh, we want that double action, but we don't want to add weight unnecessarily. So uh, our truss rod is our own design, and it's meant to be uh, double acting, but a single rod and lightweight. And uh, it's, it's elegant, if I may say so, does the job, and it doesn't force us to add weight to the neck. Great. I, I have to admit that, that we did a, a discussion with Roger Simonoff with the NCAL, Northern California yeah. Association of Luthiers Group, and I had no idea how much thought and effort and design and experimentation and failure there had been over the years um, <laughs> working on truss rods. I mean, to me, it was like, oh, it's a threaded rod with a nut welded on one end and a nut on the other end, and that's all there is to it. But, oh, no. <laughs> so, I, yeah, I got to imagine that you guys have probably done a fair bit of work to come up with the, the truss rod that you're willing to use. Well, this is where, yeah. I'm so grateful for the um, wild ideas of our predecessors, uh, so that we don't have to do those things, right? Did uh, by the way, did you see? Uh, did Roger uh, give you the example? He did. Uh, one of the patents he had was for a, a truss rod that would bend the neck uh, any direction. I mean, 360 degrees, degrees, and it was like. Uh, three articulated snake skeletons in the neck that nested, each component nested into the necks. And by adjusting them separately, you could make the neck go anywhere. Yeah, no, that, that was that was really amazing. And, and what was even more amazing to me is how it was designed to slide out of the neck so that you could make adjustments to it then slide it back into the guitar. Um, and then start tightening it up in order to get those kinds of, of adjustments and modifications. Um, yeah, well, you know, while we're we're doing whatever it is to relax our brains, Roger's uh, developing a new patent, so. Yeah. <laughs> or he's two. Yeah, he's an inspiration. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, the, the, the trust rods is fascinating. Uh, tuning machines, um, do I Frets, inlay, well, you, binding were there. Yeah. Well, you yeah. did. You know, you did. If Tad, you did talk about uh, joining the neck at the twelfth, uh, thirteenth, or fourteenth fret, and I can do right. that pretty quick. Um, that you know, we developed. Uh, we developed 
you know, the, the 13th fret had a historical precedent in old, the old Gibson Nick Lucas. What the reason for doing that is, I don't know. The reason for us doing it is to put the bridge in the proper position or the optimal position to drive the top uh, with a long string length, a long scale for more tension. And that at the 12th fret or the 14th fret, the bridge was in the wrong place. The 13th, it was perfect. So when we change the fret to the body relationship, we also have to think about where the bridge is going to fall and the bracing configuration. And some body styles don't lend themselves to messing with that. You know, you're stuck with a 12 fret or a 14 fret. So there's a, there's rhyme or reason behind that as well. Sure, sure. You know, and, and I, ha I want to mention, Richard, I, I don't think we mentioned this before. We've done two... Um, podcast with Santa Cruz artists so far, um, Adam Trom and Lisa Liu. Um, good, good company. Yeah, both outstanding in their own unique way. But the one thing I found really interesting to me, and, and it made it very clear, I spend way too much time on guitar forums and talking with, with very eccentric guitar people. Both of them were like, um, yeah, this is my Santa Cruz OM. Um, I think it's like uh, rosewood and spruce or something. I don't know. It sounds so great. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, you try and say, well, you know, do you know what they use for the bracing or the, and it's like, uh, I think it's wood, but it really <laughs> sounds great. <laughs> and I think sometimes I know I'm guilty of it is we get a little too off into the weeds about um, the specifics of material or inlay or, or, all these little things and then you run across these really great musicians that are just like i don't know it sounds so great <laughs> yeah uh, you said it that that's that's more of a matter of priorities than a lack of sophistication you know uh lisa and adam are both smarter than a whip and uh, uh i just they're both really articulate uh, about about uh what they do, uh, Adam's lyrics and, and his songs really uh, convey that. And uh, uh, Lisa is, is masterful in her playing. And uh, you know what? I, I'm looking, I haven't heard Lisa's podcast yet. I'm really looking forward to that. Yeah. Well, and, and to me, that, that really, it says so much that essentially they're validating that what you have chosen to build, what you think is this really great guitar just it works it's it's perfect they pick it up and it's like i can't imagine what i would change about it um and i think that that's one of the things that when coming to you coming to your shop to get a guitar built you have to keep in mind is yeah you know maybe you know what you want for a nut width or you know maybe you know you want six strings on it or or whatever else um that the reason we're going to come to you to get that guitar built is you can take care of so much of this stuff without us having to go on forums and, and ask for opinions. Well, do you think I should use hide glue or, or do you think I should use Adirondack for my bracing or do you think I should use, you know, don't even think about it. Just call Richard. Yeah. Well, you know, Ted, there's, there's really good reason for that phenomena. Uh, I'm going to venture this is that people are so, uh, used to uh, playing, uh, you know, big brand factory-made guitars that are not consistent at all in their quality of sound. And they feel that they, they, if they could describe what a good sounding guitar is uh, to the maker, the maker could, by choice, make a good sounding one. And in the, in the uh, realm of the factory, uh, for efficiency's sake, these components are put together of sizes uh, to get your costs down. Uh, we're putting together frequencies or notes when we put together our components, and the guitar is in tune with itself in harmony, and that's what generates the qualities of sound that people uh, call a good guitar, sustain overtones, uh, full rich sound. So people thinking the more information they can give you, the more likely you are to get a good one. And uh, what I'm saying here without hubris is following the uh, 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 
the directions from the masters, we just can make a really good sounding guitar and people can pick it up and go, oh, that's what I want. How did you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. That's a little oblique, but um, uh, thanks for letting me say that. Yeah, I think it's uh, oh, yeah. the difference between buying something out of a box or buying an ins a musical instrument, you know? Cool. Yeah, really, it's, it, there's, that, that, I, that's what attracted me to Santa Cruz in the first place is I was looking for a triple O or an OM and I at the time was traveling around the country everywhere and I was playing guitars everywhere I was going and out of 30 different shops I maybe played one that I went well maybe I should have bought that and then I came back here and I, I went to a, the local uh, Sylvan in Santa Cruz and I played an OMPW and paid for it <laughs> because it was, it, it was so it was so wonderful and so musical I, and i had to take out richard i had to take out the little dots and i put ah. in, i put in style 42 I, I put in style 42 because i couldn't see the little dots and, it, and yeah. it really made me crazy but if anybody sees my uh style 42 onpw out there um give it back <laughs> give it well back. i designed those two millimeter mother of pearl dots as a standard when I was like 25 so yeah, uh, I'm <laughs> yeah we couldn't see him um, Richard you've been incredibly gracious with your time I think we've covered pretty much everything twice um, <laughs> it's my pleasure you guys, uh, you guys do are professionals you know how to do this and you know how to make people sound good and I'm very grateful for that I need all the help I can get so we'll uh, see you in a couple weeks Tad yeah Yes, we, we, we will see Richard in a couple of weeks, which gives everybody who logs on to the Santa Cruz Guitar Players Forum, uh, which you can get to just by typing in scgcpf.com. Um, that'll take you right there very easily. Uh, and you can add questions or comments there, which we will read and, and hopefully not ignore and bring back to uh, the maestro at a future podcast. Um, get some more questions answered, um, provided the question doesn't take as much time as this one did, but I think it was a lot of fun. I definitely learned a lot more. Um, yeah, we we have more artists coming up, so I'm going to encourage everybody to, to keep an eye on the podcast as we post them, because uh, we've got a couple of really exciting artists coming up. I'm really looking forward to talking to them. Um, but I am always happy to come back to the maestro and talk with him. So again, thank you very much, Richard, for your time. And uh, we are very anxious to someday actually be able to see you in person and sit down <laughs> and uh, do this uh, in a single room. Uh, we will keep fingers crossed and uh, uh, keep hoping good thoughts for everybody. Our best to everybody at the shop. Uh, we hope you're all doing well and recovering from all this. Um, and our thanks to Mr. Newman for um, handling all the technical details um, so well. Um, and thanks everybody for listening. Yep. Have a have a beautiful sunny Santa Santa Cruz afternoon, Richard. Okay. I promise. You thank guys you. do the same. I look forward to next time. Thank, thank you. you. We hope you enjoyed this installment of the Santa Cruz Coffee Break. For more music-related fun, please join the Santa Cruz Guitar Players Forum at scgcpf or santacruzguitarplayers.com. If you have any questions or possible podcast topics, please contact us. If you have a product or service that you feel would be of value to our listeners, please consider adding your support and keeping the coffee pot on. Contact us for more information. We ask that you hit the like, follow, bell or bookmark buttons so we can keep you informed of upcoming podcast episodes. We hope you enjoyed Santa Cruz Coffee Break. Now it's time to go play your guitar.